Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name's Tim. And my name's Marshall. And we're doing it. Yeah, let's just do it. Let's just let's just make it Thanks, happen. Thanks, Alex. Alex came to our rescue. All we, right. We're having... The, sometimes there's minor technical difficulties. This was a, a, more of a major technical This was a meltdown. Diff- it, was pretty, it was pretty rough. Yeah. Almost gave up. Just packed it in, go home. Did you try unplugging it and plugging it back in? I did. I did. We did, and eventually doing that worked. <laughs> That's literally the resolution. Folks, listen. if you're listening to this podcast right now, before you call the IT department for whatever it is technologically that's not working, first try to unplug it and plug it back in again. I'm telling you. I'm it's telling classic. you. It's classic. 80% of your issues will be resolved, and it will streamline streamline the the queue waiting times for the other 20% of issues. <laughs> yeah, not the only issue we have today. No. The other issue is mm. will I make it to the end? I believe in you. I think that's the epic storyline of this whole podcast. Mm. Will Tim make it to the end before his voice is gone? Mm. Well, without giving away exactly what we're going to talk about Tim, I think you just need to realize the healing truth. And then maybe your throat will feel better. If you can just affirm it in your mind more and apply the science of Christianity to your body. Affirmed. <laughs> All right. So thanks, Alex. Yeah, thanks, buddy. You're 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 the real hero. Yeah, sorry for this being a, a day late. Hopefully it's not a dollar short. <laughs> it might be both. But uh, you know what? I I was saying earlier, yep. you know, everybody gets a mulligan. Right? Well, sometimes. Depends. That's fair. That's not fair. if you're a brain surgeon. <laughs> That's what medical insurance is for. What are you talking about? Um, okay. Sorry. That was dark. That um, was dark. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. 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 Okay. So before we get into our, our topic of discussion today, topics, I guess you could say, um, I'm going to drop some, some fun little things. Here's the thing about the last episode, this episode, maybe the next couple episodes even as well. They're all kind of sitting around the same time period. So I'm just grabbing, trying to grab a variety of different things going on. Um, and, and hopefully we'll have fresh ones for each episode. But uh, in 1858, the phonograph was invented. And not the exact same thing as the phonograph. Uh, this was the first device that could actually record sound. So 1858. And um, as you and I were trying to get things going, it felt like we were running one of the phonographs because we could not, we couldn't figure it out. Anyways, uh, 1861 to 1865, the American Civil War between the Union and the Confederacy, uh, at least 600,000, perhaps as many as a million dead. Um, And like most wars at that time, more people died of disease than bullets by significant margins. Right. Eighteen sixty-two, Victor Hugo publishes *Les Misérables*, and in fact, this whole time period is like just like a treasure trove of like when you think of like literary classics, like this is around this time. Tolstoy's *War and Peace*, *Treasure Island*, um, uh, Mark Twain writes *The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn*. We've got Sherlock Holmes, *Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde*. All of these are being written within a very short time frame in this kind of Victorian yeah. era, kind of a high point of 
of you know fictional literature. Um, in 1863, this is, this surprised me. The first section of the London Underground, so their their subway system, is opened in 1863. Wow. Yeah, that's I know, crazy. I know. Um, like that's like oh over 150 years ago. Yeah. Um, 1867, Alfred Noble, yes, that Noble, uh, invents dynamite, which is, uh, going to come in handy for building railroads. I guarantee the Chinese claim dynamite somehow like 2000 years prior to that. <laughs> Probably. That, yeah. that, that tends to happen with a lot of Western inventions. You look at it mm. and you're like the telescope and Chinese are like, nah, we did that like a thousand years before. <laughs> it's true. Uh, in 1869, the Russian chemist Dmitry Mendeleev creates the periodic table. So that's that big old thing painted on the classroom wall from your chemistry class in high school. Uh, at least if I don't, my class had that. Um, in 1870, we have the Franco Prussian war, which um, essentially results in, Germany becoming Germany and becoming the dominant power in mainland Europe. So sets the stage for the bigger wars, the great war, um, you know, a generation later. So last week we talked about Mormons, Tim. Yep. We talked about the, or as they like to be called the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, which is a mouthful. And you know what? I'm not after what we talked about yesterday, associating the name of Jesus with them is, I just don't feel comfortable with. So we're going to say more The LDS. The LDS? Sure. LDS? Sure. Um, and we're going to talk about some other groups today that also depart from what we would call orthodoxy. Now, I'll say this up front. I don't think we have to put all of them in the same basket, per se. So there's no. three we're going to talk about. Right, right, right. Um, one is wrong. One is really wrong. And the other one is like, it's still wrong. They're working on it. <laughs> They're working on it, actually, yeah. Um, so the first group we're going to talk about are a very famous group known as the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yes. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they were founded by a guy by the name of Charles Taze Russell. And he was born in Allegheny, Pennsylvania, which is actually a really beautiful area. Yes. Been through there before. Um, born in 1852. Mm -hmm. Born to a Presbyterian family, but broke off and joined the Congregationalists as a teenager. And uh, he kind of keeps going anti further anti-establishment, as we'll, as we'll see pretty soon. Um, he, he joins this Bible study group. So there, was these, there were these Bible study groups that were emerging um, where people would kind of open the scriptures and discuss it and kind of come to their own conclusions about what they thought it said. And this particular group decides that they're not really down with some, some of these Christian doctrines like the Trinity or the immortality of the soul or hell. Mm -hmm. um, he was also, Charles Taze Russell was also heavily influenced by a number of Christian writers who were predicting that Christ was going to return in 1878. Now, there was also a bigger movement, the Millerites, before that, that thought Jesus was coming back in like 1844 or something. And and we we talked about how, you know, there, again, a lot of a lot of these movements end up being associated with some kind of wacky calculation of when Jesus is going to come back. Yeah, there's there's this there's this desire in the human heart mm -hmm. when Jesus says, "No man knows the hour." 
for people to be like, well, maybe not yet. Give me a second. Right. I'll figure it out. And, and I mean, you've studied Greek. The word hour doesn't necessarily mean this 60-minute block. No. It means the designated time. Yeah. But a lot of these guys treat it like, well, I can't know the hour, but I can know the day. Right. <laughs> exactly. And exactly. so and so this has been <clears throat> this desire for calculation becomes a big deal in in the Americas mm-hmm. in trying to figure this out. And it still is. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. There's still a number of groups that are trying to suss out what are the various elements of revelation, who equates to what and yeah. and how to how to time that out and mm-hmm. and do math on it. As an all-millennial, I'll tell you that a lot of those numbers are more figurative than literal. Um, yeah. And who thought that the Messiah, the King of Kings, would come to a single mother in a manger? Right. Right? Yeah. I think there's precedent to presume it might not happen the way you thought it was going to or when you thought it was going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't stop people from being like, no, I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> yeah. Crack the code. Um yeah, so in light of this this quote unquote prophecy that he was buying into that Jesus was going to return in 1878, he sell he had a, he owned a number of businesses. He sells them all for a small fortune that today would have been worth millions, mm-hmm. and spends all his time and energy into proclaiming this imminent coming of Christ. However, 1878 comes and goes, and that causes some issues, obviously, with his mm-hmm. following. So he splits with them. And a few years later, founded something called the Zion's Watchtower Tract Society. And over the following years, he's going to increase the number of people who are following and reading his stuff. He's going to use this fortune that he has to publish and distribute millions of tracts, pamphlets, and books with his particular views. Particular views, imminent return of Christ, Trinity's not real, um, no immortality of the soul, no hell, that sort of stuff. Hold on, before you get too deep, Mm. I, I brought some show and tell. Oh, you did? Okay. So my my uh, undergraduate mm-hmm. thesis, because I my undergraduate is history. Okay. Yep. So for my bachelor's of arts in history, my undergraduate undergraduate thesis was to write a biography and legacy of Charles Taz Russell. Okay. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. And so I uh, <clears throat> I did a pretty deep dive study oh, nice. of Russell and the the movement that came from him, mm-hmm. and I just thought I would show you because he's a pretty prolific writer. Oh yeah, the Divine Plan of the Ages mm. by Charles Taz Russell for Bible students. So this was published before he broke with that group to form. The Zion's Watchtower okay. group. That's the level of old this is. That's cool. It says inside of it that this series, this is volume one of the series. Uh, it's the only volume that I have, but this is volume one. That all six, more than 3,000 pages, can be yours for 225 <laughs> <laughs> But this is where he lays out a lot of those doctrines mm. that you're talking about, right? Mm. Like the anti-Trinitarian position and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, sometimes people are like, do the whole like, I don't have to go to church. 
to be a Christian. I can just study the Bible on my own. Um, sometimes people people see that even as the greater good. Right. Right? Like all of your training has corrupted you, and the simplification of our study is going to present a purer good. Mm. Right? Uh, it, there's this level of anti-intellectualism inside Christianity that can crop up mm-hmm. in this way. Yeah. Um, and it is a very current thing, mm. right? This is, this is not gone away. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where these things become really dangerous, oh, yeah. right? Like a, a lot of people are like, you know what though? We do this home church thing. No one there's seminary trained. We just read the Bible and interpret it. Mm. What well, that's where a lot of these groups come from. Yeah. Almost exclusively yeah. are people doing this kind of thing. Now that. That lends itself to criticism. I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't. Sure. Because now you're going to be like, well, so the argument then is the perpetuation of these things that aren't in the Bible that people aren't seeing, you're just a part of. Hmm. And that's why, pastor, you think people need to be under a pastor who's trained in this. There's nothing that Russell comes up with that isn't an ancient heresy. Yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. All of the all of the things that Russell's going to come up with, except for the return of Christ in a specific year, um, <laughs> it's not like it's not like the ancient church fathers were like 1868. That's when it's going to happen. <laughs> um, every one of the every one of the problems that they come up with have already been come up with, mm-hmm. and have been researched by the church, and have been answered by the church. Right. And if they had had that level of training around them, mm-hmm. it would have benefited them greatly. Yeah. Um, yeah so the, that's, that's, that's not like a whole, like if you're doing a Bible study, that's not a part of right. exactly what I put out, then you're wrong. That, that's not what I'm, I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say that, um, there's a, there's a lot to this, House church, everyone being untrained thing that isn't is potentially very unhealthy. Yeah, and yeah. and can lead to a level of uh, what we're going to see today. I think a number of heresies mm-hmm. in, in entire denominations that have formed. Yeah, around a small group of people mm-hmm. coming up with a notion that's just not biblically founded. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Charles Taze Russell, I mean, he is he is pumping out material like crazy. Like he's publishes many, many books and tracks and pamphlets and this sort of thing. Like it's it's getting out there, it's he's circulating it. And you know, and it, it sometimes when something it just challenges the norms. It catches people's attention. Oh, yeah. There's certain people who just like are discontent and just primed for something different. I mean, in more recent years, and we'll get to this eventually, but stuff like the emergent church movement and stuff like that, right? Like it just grabbed people, even though so much of it was nonsense, it just grabbed people because people were just, they're like, well, things aren't perfect right now in the church. Mm -hmm. There's some things that are genuinely wrong. And this is going after that and critiquing that. So I'm just going to attach myself to this new movement and run with it. Yeah, there's there's something conspiratorial inside of us. We we just want to believe mm. that there's 
that there's a secret out there that just hasn't been tapped into. Right. Right. And that we're going to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. It's it's to be honest, it's a, a bit of arrogance yeah. in the human heart that wants to tap into that thing that says the norm can't be the truth because that's not exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Right. I need there to be something other and something more. And I, I need for it to be that everyone else is wrong and I'm on the inside. Right. Right. And that's, that's what Smith did. Yeah. And that's what all of, all of these groups are going to do because it's very close to Gnosticism again, like something we talked about very, very early on in this podcast is this group with the special knowledge and right. the, the secret knowledge that they know um, is what sets them apart from the 99.9% of everyone else on the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. And this little tiny group are the ones who figured out the secret. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it, that's what's going to bring them life is this higher level of understanding about whatever thing it is. Right. So um, Charles Taze Russell continues to grow in popularity. He dies in 1917. Um, so I'm going to kind of carry the, a little bit of what we know of the, the Jehovah's Witnesses because they're not even really called that even up till his death. Um, at that point, Watchtower is taken over by a guy named Joseph Rutherford. Right. He makes a lot of changes to both the practice and the doctrine. He's the guy who introduced the house-to-house knocking-on-doors thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he announced that in 1925, he announced that the patriarchs from the Bible, so like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they would be resurrected and that a millennial kingdom would begin. Um, and that there would be a different resurrection of, or of the 144,000. Now that didn't, that didn't turn out either. And so there's some retroactive, like backpedaling stuff that, that ends up happening with them. So in 1931 at their national convention, they adopt the new name Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. And they also begin teaching that most of, if not all of the 144,000 were already resurrected in heaven. So there's two different classes of, in Jehovah's Witness mind. There are the anointed, who are the 144,000 who get to rule in heaven with Christ. Mm-hmm. And then there's everyone else, the great multitude, the great flock, the, the other sheep or whatever, who will get to re- dwell on a renewed earth. And they adjust the timeline so that the millennial reign actually started back in 1914. And so then initially it's like, okay, and then the 144,000 kind of were those anointed ones who have already gone. But then even today, though, that the head of their like main council all believe that they're also anointed ones. So they're, mm-hmm. they're also going to be part of that 144, whatever. Um, in the 40s, they commission a new translation of the Bible called the New World Translation, which, oh, you've got in your hands there. Yeah. Which didn't actually get published until like 61, I think. Yeah, the reason is that first translation was kind of garbage. Okay. Um, one, of the, one of the troubles that the Jehovah's Witness have when it comes to the Greek is for them to study any writings that aren't from the society, the Watchtower Society, is apostasy, mm. right? For them to open Donald Carson yep. is apostasy. I've often talked with Jehovah's Witnesses that have said, would you mind reading this? And I say, 100%, man, I'll, I'll read it, right? Like, I have a pretty solid Jehovah's Witness library on my, uh, my shelf of heresy. And uh, to the point that one time I had a Jehovah's Witness sitting in my office and we were chatting, and out the corner of his eye, he saw my shelf. Mm. And he goes, 
do you mind if I look at that? I said, knock yourself out, man. He goes, you have books that I don't have. He was an elder. Okay. You have books that I don't have. You have books that have been out of print for decades. Hmm. And I said, yes, I do. And he goes, do you mind if I take this and read it? I said, I actually do mind. You need to put that back on the shelf. Uh, Because they do, they have over time changed some things. Sure. Right. Uh, And I just didn't want it to not come back. Right. Um, And so, so yeah, they they find, because they can't study anyone else. There's really only one place in the world where you can learn Koine Greek, mm-hmm. and that's at a Christian seminary. Right. <laughs> but they can't send these guys to Christian seminaries. I know. <laughs> and so, their biggest problem is they they try to do this translation. It's just not good. Mm-hmm. A lot of mistakes, known mistakes, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, even to this day. If you showed up with a King James version, they'd offer you a New World translation, but they'd let it slide on the KJV. Mm. Um, yeah, but yeah. So it's just riddled with mistakes, and then they yeah. come back at it again and and mysteriously nail it um, without studying Greek <laughs> or Hebrew at a Christian seminary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and when I say nail it, I mean nail it by their standard. Yeah. There are some significant errors in it. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say that. That are theological errors. Uh, On purpose. Right. I I would say so. Yeah. Right. Any, any kind of, any, any passage that we might look to, to like potentially affirm, um, the notion of the Trinity, the divinity of Christ, that sort of thing. They're, they're Mm -hmm. gonna, they're gonna, it just, oh, just gonna, so just so happens that actually all those passages were mistranslated. (laughs) Right, and the stuff that's not all that contentious mm-hmm. between you know Orthodox Christianity and where they're at are strikingly similar sometimes. Yeah, and so <laughs> what I, I also have here this book called "The Reasoning of Scriptures." Okay, this is the field guide mm. for having a conversation with you. Interesting, right? So it has it divided into topics, and it it teaches on the topic, and it says, "Well, what if someone says?" And then it follows that with, "You might respond with." Okay. Um, they basically memorize this book and like a really good JW. If you like, one of the things I like to do is talk to them asking questions that I know they have answers to mm-hmm. just to hear how close they are to the book. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause sometimes they're hilariously mm-hmm. on point. Right. Right. Um, one of the things that they talk about here is what if someone says, well, doesn't the Bible say that Jesus was in the beginning and was with God and mm-hmm. and Jesus was God in John 1 1. And they will argue the Bible actually says Jesus was a God. Right. Um, and not the God. Uh, interestingly enough, Koine Greek doesn't have the indefinite the indefinite article. Um, so there is no way to say a mm-hmm. God. You can only say the God or leave it out. Their argument is because it's left out, it's indefinite. Right. It's not indefinite. If you want to just nerd out on the Greek, it's called uh, Arnathris. The Arnathris. Yeah, Arnathris. Yeah. Arnathris use. Yeah. And, so the the way that the the way that the sentence is put together, the ordering of the words in relation to one another, tells you how you would translate it into English that does have both the definite and indefinite. Yeah. And. And then later on, uh, in the same book of John, there's a conversation that Jesus has with uh, Thomas. Mm. And 
Thomas, he says, Thomas, do you, you said you needed to feel my hands and my side. Do you want to do that? Mm. And Thomas replies, my Lord and my God. Mm. Right. They blow over that and just say, well, there's a thing in Psalms that says, aren't you gods? Right. It's that it's just that right. kind of thing. He is, he is deistic. He's just not God. Right. Uh, but interestingly enough, the Greek there uses the definite article, the Lord of me, mm-hmm. kurios ton moi, yeah. and the God of me, theos mm. ton moi, mm. um, which there's your definite article. <laughs> if, that's, if that's make or break for you, it's right there. You should have just kept reading. Yeah. Um, yeah. James White. James White uh, was talking about one time. So I do a thing that I got from James White. Sometimes when I go to the coffee shop just to read, I take this with me. Okay. Because all Jehovah's Witness Bibles look exactly the same, mm-hmm. and they're a pretty tight group, mm-hmm. and they can see it from across the crowded room. Right. <clears throat> and they won't recognize you, and they'll be like, I'm going to go talk to that guy. Mm-hmm. We're kindred. Uh, and it's just a great conversation starter. I always call it fishing. Yeah. I do it. <laughs> And just throw it out there like a lure. Um, <clears throat> and James White likes to open with that discussion. And when they do the whole like, well, actually the Greek, he likes to reach into his bag and pull out a Greek New Testament and open it up and say, can you show me what a definite article looks like? <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's good. Okay. Yeah. So those. Yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> those kinds of rewrites, sorry, that was mm-hmm. loud. Those kinds of rewrites uh, wrongly are theology applied to a translation. Yep. 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 And and that, that appears quite a bit in the New World Translation. Yeah. Yeah. And so so here's here's the thing that you need to know about Je- the Jehovah's Witnesses. In regards to what they believe, it is all instituted and amended. By their governing body. Mm-hmm. Which An is, anonymous governing body. Yeah, which is a fluctuating number. Yeah, where they bring people in, but it's it's only the 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 original group can bring people in, so you're not nominated from without. They, they call you in. Yeah, here's how deep that is. When I was doing research for that paper, mm-hmm. I wanted to interview some of these guys. Um, being that it was a history thing, they wanted primary source documentation sure. for whatever I had to say, right? Um. And so trying to interview these guys was impossible. Like even anonymously, they wouldn't sit on the phone and talk to me. Mm. Right. And so I had no citation Mm. for, for these kinds of things. They would answer some questions to a certain degree, nothing that wasn't already in their printed materials. Mm -hmm. Um, But I couldn't even get a first name for a citation. Right. So I had to just put conversation with nobody knows. Wow. Um, but, but the level to which you can only teach top-down stuff, it, we've talked about different denominations that are top-down. Presbyterians, sure, sure. Uh, the Anglicans. There is no group that is more top-down mm. than the Jehovah's Witness. Oh, yeah. Right. I, I've had a number of conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses where I've said, can you just not feel 
why people would consider you a cult, even if you don't consider yourself a cult, can you understand why people feel this way? Because those tracts that they give out are the only thing they're allowed to teach that week. Mm. Every Jehovah's Witness meeting everywhere in the world is the exact same every meeting. So their Sunday study, their midweek study is the exact same, and you're not allowed to bring anything in. They just come together, they read the tract, and they talk about what's there. If you spent your entire life in the Jehovah's Witness, and you've gained a boatload of insight into the doctrines and the theologies of the Jehovah's Witness and the Bible itself, you don't, you're not allowed in that meeting to contribute outside of what is right here in front of us. Hmm. We discuss this and nothing more and we move on. Yeah. And if you, if you want to say like, well, I grew up Baptist and I, I also know that Spurgeon said this about this passage and I find that really helpful, even if it doesn't contradict. Right. They're like, you're not allowed to do that here. Sorry, man. If it's not from the watchtower, it doesn't exist. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some of the major theological issues we've already kind of ta- touched on, about just kind of rapid fire a few here. God, the father, keep in mind, God, God, the father is referred to um, exclusively as Jehovah, yeah. which is interesting because yeah. Jehovah is not, even what is used in the Hebrew text. Mm-hmm. So the divine name that, like we, when we, even when we say Yahweh, we're guessing. Right. We're we're guessing because the original Hebrew didn't have vowels. It's only much later that um, Jewish scribes added vowels to the text so that it could be taught and interpreted better. But we're guessing by in, inserting those vowels. Right. But Jehovah is like an anglicized version of it that's like not even cl- not even close. Yeah, it's not even anglicized really. Um because I, I would say it came around more in in the Germanic tradition. Right. Okay. Sure. Right? And and that English is a Germanic translation. Uh but but not long ago, like it was determined that Okay, even even if you are going to give the Y a J sound, which is not unthinkable. No, that's the way you we do Jesus. Right. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, even if you're going to do that, the E, the second letter, should be an A. Right. Jehovah should be spelled J A. Right. Right, and not J E. And so when I, <clears throat> I've asked Jehovah's Witness about this, like the name of God, why not go with a Yod Head Vod Head? Right. Right, which sure. are the consonants yeah. of Jehovah, yep. of Yahweh, um, and just stick with that because that's the best known. They're like, well, this is the English pronunciation. Like, it's not even. It's not. It's um, not. And so, so yeah, it's a it's a thing they stand on as a do or die. It's weird. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. It's a weird thing. Yeah, I was wearing my Yahweh hat that has the Yod Hey Vav Hey on the on the hat, and a Jehovah's Witness spotted me when I was having breakfast. And wanted to chat about it. And mm-hmm. I was like, all right, okay, cool. We had a good little chat. but Bring it on. No, it wasn't like that. Um, so to them, the Holy Spirit is not a person of the Trinity, but just simply the active force of God's power. So the Holy Spirit is the force from God. 
essentially. Right. Lit- and from Star Wars. And, <laughs> probably. Um, in, in that kind of an essence. In that way, though. Yes, yeah. it operates the same way. Are you in tune with it? It can operate. Yeah. The way yeah. most people talk about the universe. Right. Mm, one with the universe, yeah. So Jesus is a created being. Uh, mm-hmm. There is a uniqueness to the Son of God. Um, interestingly, they don't believe he was crucified on a cross as we know it, but on a post. That is primary doctrine for them. Yeah, which is w- weird. Yeah, so so their argument is that historically, the cross came around much later. Okay, and it would have just been a stake, and so they will they will get hung up on that to the point you can't move on. Yeah, and, and even if you want to be like, fine, I'll drop it, and we'll just presume it's a stake, whatever. They're like, no, it's not good enough because I don't think that you believe me. I think that you're just trying to move on with the conversation. Right, and like I, and and that's not just like one person that I've had that conversation with, like it's a thing that people can get really hung up on. Yeah. It, it's this or else as if it were primary doctrine. Yeah. I'm pretty sure like following accounts of like after like slave rebellions, a few decades before Jesus, that there was, it was crucifixion. Anyways, it, it'd be an interesting thing to dive deep into, but I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, they believe that the the references to the archangel Michael in the Old Testament are references to Jesus. So right. Jesus is created chief amongst the angels, honored by the angels, mm-hmm. um, is a unique unique among them. But he is Michael. But he is Michael. In the yeah. Old Testament, he's Michael. In the New Testament, he's, he's Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. The reason for that is because in Revelation, there's a discussion about the destruction of Satan. Satan's destroyed twice in Revelation. Mm-hmm. Once by the archangel mm-hmm. and once by Jesus. Mm-hmm. And their argument is it's just the same person. Right. Which is a really interesting point to take on that. Yeah. 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 And so in regards to end time stuff, it's a bit of a moving target situation. So eventually mm-hmm. they decide the last days begin in 1914. All religions, including all of the forms of Christianity, are Babylon the Great. Soon, all other faiths will be destroyed by the United Nations. Uh, They're very specific about the United Nations, Mm -hmm. uh, which will mark the beginning of the Great Tribulation. Uh, Armageddon begins when the United Nations decides to attack the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, They'll be preserved. The earth will be made new. People who died before Armageddon will gradually be resurrected little by little. So not all at once, but little by little and taught to worship properly and if they obey, then they'll continue to live. But if they do not, or deceived by Satan, then they'll be destroyed. Um, so definitely, definitely messing with even, you know, yeah, some things that we would, that even a, a variety of eschatological positions, you know, within Christianity would, would still have kind of more or less have, have agreement on, despite our differences. They, they, it just gets weird. If I'm not mistaken, this is the first... Of the one world government conversations. Right, yeah. And and they developed this doctrine about it being specifically the United Nations because the, what was the precursor to the United Nations? The Council of Nations or something something like that? Yeah, Yeah, so when those, when they were formed, that's when, I believe it was Rutherford or whoever was leading the JWs at that time was like, that's going to be, that's the Antichrist. Yeah. Um, So anyways, it's... Yeah, I mean, what if the what if the United Nations dissolves in fifty years? What I, they'll have to change their doctrine again. Um, in any case, 
So that's Jehovah's Witnesses. There's a lot of them. Yeah, there's some other really interesting things okay. just to throw yeah, out there drop in case you have some Jehovah's Witness friends. I, I would say this about Jehovah's Witness. If, you, if you're going to talk to a Jehovah's Witness, you should be careful. Yeah. Like, they know their stuff. Yeah. Your Mormon friends, you can talk to them. This is, this is going to sound rude, but I'll say it anyway. I, I truly believe it to be the case. Mm-hmm. By and large... Mormons don't know Mormon doctrine. Right. By and large, they go, the messages are super light. The messages are, isn't it great to be a part of a family? Love your wife and children and husband and grandparents. And your other wife. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. And and these these very sort of really soft, right, family-focused yeah. kind yeah. of things. Work, work hard, mm-hmm. uh, take care of each other. Mm-hmm kind of a thing. Jehovah's Witnesses are trained in apologetics yeah. and, and doctrine. Um, you can talk to your Mormon friends and probably cause them to pause and go, I don't have an answer to that. Mm-hmm. You, they are going to have an answer. A JW is going to have an answer. And you might end up talking yourself into a place where you're going, I don't have the answer now. Right. Um, so that's not to say don't do it, just to say it's a different thing. Yeah. Uh, but in here, in the reasoning of scriptures, there's all kinds of crazy stuff. Like the Old Testament tells us, uh, the Jews, uh, that they're to let the blood from an animal before they eat it. Mm. Don't eat an animal with its life's blood in it. Um, so they won't take a blood transfusion. Right. The blood contains the soul of, uh, of a being. Um, so they won't have a blood transfusion. Major car accident. They teach their people the only thing that you're allowed to do at the hospital is take saline solution. It's going to do the exact same thing. All you need to do is get the volume inside of your circulatory system back to stability. Uh, whatever blood you've lost, what you still have can function as the blood. You just need volume. So inform them that you will take saline but not a blood, trans- not a blood transfusion, not, a, um, not taking... Uh, donated blood in any right, way. Sure, I, sure, I can't yeah. even think of the word right yeah, now. Yeah, through IV or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so that's a thing. Wow. They don't do holidays at all. Mm-hmm. Um, holidays are pagan celebration. Right. Uh, I had a friend, really close friend, that kind of was Jehovah's Witness that kind of got me into this deep dive as a friend of mine while I was in college. And I remember having a conversation with him. We worked together uh, in retail sales so a lot of just standing around chatting and uh he told me that uh they were getting together on the last weekend and thursday his whole family his brother was coming in from out of town and they were going to go to his mom's and she was going to cook a big meal and they were going to get together it's like kyle you guys gonna celebrate thanksgiving he's like no we're not (laughs) we don't do thanksgiving i was like Sounds to me like Thanksgiving. I mean, <laughs> you go into mom's house. All your friend, your family is coming. Your brother's driving in from out of state yeah. with his family. And you're going to cook a big meal on Thursday, <laughs> the last Thursday in November. That's Thanksgiving, brother. <laughs> and he's like, no, it's just because of the way everyone else's calendars work, it's the only day that everything is closed that we can get together as a family. <laughs> all right brother my family does the same thing yeah 
and it's got a name. <laughs> um, so, oh, so no holidays, including birthdays. No birthdays. Yeah. Twice in the Bible, birthdays are mentioned. Neither one is a good time. And and both of them are are cursed to days where someone dies or something bad it's like happens. Herod is one of them. Yeah. And then I think the other one's like. It's one of the Babylonian kings, Cyrus or something. I can't remember. Yeah, so the celebration of birthdays is a no-no. Yeah. If yeah. you if you try to celebrate their birthdays, they might cordially be like, but they're gonna walk yeah. away from it, yeah. right? Uh, so that's not a thing. Don't don't celebrate their birthday. They're not gonna be offended. They'll be more offended if you recognize their birthday. The only thing they'll celebrate are wedding anniversaries. Oh, interesting. They make a huge deal out of it because it's the only thing you got. <laughs> um, but wedding anniversaries are a thing okay. that they will recognize. Okay, cool. Uh, so if you got a JW friend, try to re- figure out their wedding anniversary. Yeah. And remember that because it's your only chance to <laughs> to befriend and, and sort of become closer to them. Um, so, yeah, just some interesting things. Shunning is a hardcore thing. Yeah. Like, Yeah. Yeah, if you're if you're on the outs with them, mm-hmm. you're on the outs with them systematically, mm-hmm. um, and and they shun hardcore until you come back. Um, it's a tough thing. Yeah. No. All right. Well, let's let's keep moving. We got two other groups to get through today, so they're probably not going to take as much time as as oh, no. witness. But uh, the first one is something called Christian. Sign- Hold on. I, oh, I, I do want to say this. Okay. I do want to say this. All right. The reason Jehovah's Witness spreads so fast and the reason they're so committed, like a lot of people would be like, I understand that they're wrong, Mm -hmm. but wouldn't it be great if we had the same level of commitment to evangelism and missions as they do? Mm. They are very works-driven. Yeah. Um, If they don't do those things, they are not going to be preserved by God. Yeah. They are not going to be pre- presented by God or preserved by God in His favor. Deathbed confessions, not a thing, right? Because you never had a chance to prove it. Mm-hmm. I've presented the question: What about the thief on the cross? Only to be told, and it's it's written in their literature as well. It's an exception. Wow, interesting. <laughs> the one biblical precedent <laughs> for a deathbed confession, right, is the one exception. Interesting. Because Christ was there himself to discern the mm. heart of this person. Um, but the reason they do this is not because they they just desire you to know. Mm-hmm. They've got boxes to tick. Right. Right. Yeah. And same with the Mormons as well. Yeah, same thing. Um, so Christian science. Christian science is a, a fun one. Um I don't know if we have, I don't think we have a Christian science church in Stratford. There's one in... You mean a, re- a reading room? Is that what they call it? A reading room or whatever? Yeah. yeah. There was one in, uh, I believe, Kitchener, near where I used to work years ago. And I always like was tempted to like walk in and just be like, what is that? Place? The interesting thing is they are neither Christian nor science. No. <laughs> no, that's what we're going to... Yeah. So they, they were founded by uh, Mary Baker Eady, or she was one of the main ones anyway, so primary person. Um, her father was a farmer, a religious guy, congregationalist, had a temper, was harsh disciplinarian. Um, didn't go well for Mary Edie growing up. Um, she suffered from a lot of illness, fainting spells, what appeared to be seizures, you know, lengthy bouts of unconsciousness. And she just struggled for years to find relief from all these health issues, right? Traditional medicine, not working. Homeopathic stuff, no. Some of the kind of the newer experimental therapies, you know, with electricity and water and that sort of thing, nothing's working. 
In her late teens, uh, she was received in the Congregational Church. Now, interestingly enough, there's a weird thing. and this, this issue comes up multiple times because there are some people who, some journalists, who, when she was older, did some deep dives into her mm-hmm. story. And it doesn't line up. Their, their journalistic research didn't line up with what her accounts were. So the journalism says that, and the church records say she was 17, but she always said that she was 12 and it involved a lengthy debate that she had with the pastor regarding things that bothered her like predestination. And and so some people believe that she was, as she was recounting these stories, trying to recreate kind of her own version of the 12 year old Jesus in the temple. Oh, right. Right. Her coming of age at the same age and her debating and, and stumping the, the established leadership. Um, in her early adulthood, she, there was a number of deaths that affected her deeply, including her mother and that of her husband when she was six months pregnant. So pretty, pretty, you know, terrible situation to be, to be stuck in. Um, she eventually got remarried to a dentist and this dentist had an interest in a movement called mesmerism and I'm not going to go into huge detail, but essentially it's a cross between like hypnosis and chakras and magnets. So let your imagination run wild with that. Um, So she traveled, so Edie traveled to visit this famous mesmerist leader called Phineas Quimby. Wow. (laughs) It's a great name. I don't think you could have a different name if you're a leader of a mesmerist movement. (laughs) Right? You just have to. (laughs) It's like you name your kid Phineas Quimby, and you just know he's going to be a cult leader. Like, he just has to be. What else is he supposed to do? Right. Like, he probably didn't want to. No, but what other? all the other options were unavailable to him. Right. You can't be named Phineas Phineas Quimby and become a blacksmith. Like, it's just not on the table for you. No. You Uh, have to, like, there have to be fairies at your birth. (laughs) (laughs) So his treatment had positive but temporary results. And Mary, uh, Mary Edie, she attributed to, like, this spiritual influence, even though Quimby wasn't really there he was kind of like this pseudoscience thing anyways um some people actually accused her later of plagiarizing a lot of his work and incorporating it into her christian science teaching um anyways things really take a real turn though on february 1st 1866 where she fell on the ice Hmm. so she's injured and carried to a friend's house and there's a debate again, from the journalism that they did, this big article they wrote on her in the early 1900s on how severe the injury was. When she wrote about it, it's, you know, she had no hope for recovery. She'd Mm -hmm. like severed her spine. She was going to be paralyzed forever. However, the doctor who treated her reported that her injuries were, you know, not that, not that severe and rub some dirt on it. Mostly a product of her own mind. Um, However, she attributes her recovery to coming to know the healing truth. So, which came upon her when she read the account of Jesus healing a paralyzed man. And it was like, when she came to realize that this healing truth was true for her too, then she bounced back immediately. It was fine. Uh, Interestingly though, months later, she did file a lawsuit against the city of Lynn where she fell uh, because she claimed she was still suffering from side effects of the fall. (laughs) (laughs) So this is all this stuff. So they did this like deep dive journalistic write up on her. And so a lot of this stuff that she wrote about is kind of proven to be. You can't have one without the other. Yeah. So, but she became convinced that healing of all ailments could be achieved through an awakening of truth. 
So here's, here's just a little quote for her. So she wrote, it is plain that God does not employ drugs or hygiene nor provide them for human use. Else Jesus would have recommended and employed them in his healing. Or Paul would have recommended them to Timothy. <laughs> Which he did. Uh, the tender word and Christian encouragement of an invalid, pitiful patience with his fears and the removal of them are better than hecatombs of gushing theory, stereotyped borrowed speeches, and the do- uh, doling of arguments, which are but so many parodies on legitimate Christian science aflame with divine love. So essentially, look, if Jesus wanted you to take drugs, he would have prescribed, he would have been prescribing drugs to, you know, the blind man or something, I, I yeah. guess. Anyways. It's- yeah. Interesting, interesting take for the wife of a doctor. Right. <laughs> of a dentist, right? Right. Yeah. Well, dentist, dentistry yeah. is a, a form of, of doctoral medicine, right? No, I'm just kidding. It is. <laughs> and so, so how awkward is that house now? Well, she ended up leaving him anyways. She, yeah. I think she got married. I think she got married like three or four times, a couple deaths, a couple divorces. Um, she started hanging out with spiritualists who did seances and communed with the dead. Uh, one of her friends actually claimed that she even communed with the spirit of Abraham Lincoln after his assassination. Hmm. Um, and she began to speak of her desire to found her own church because she never fit in with a church or anywhere she stayed uh, because she just would constantly be fighting with people because she had the real truth and they weren't accepting it. Common denominator. Yeah. So, so she believed that the original Christianity had this ultimate focus on healing. It was just about physical healing was the end game. That's what Mm -hmm. it was about. So this is when the term Christian science began to be used. And she set up a healing school for people who wanted to learn this new practice and charged about $300 for tuition, which was actually a huge sum of money uh, in the late 1800s. 300 bucks was a lot. Um, She grew in influence. She published a handbook on healing called Science and Health. Uh, But eventually she died in 1810 uh, at the age of 89. So you, you're probably less likely to run into Christian scientists, but here's some things you need to be reminded of. And you already kind of said one, it's not science and it's not Christian. It's, mm-hmm. it's spiritual healing through the power of positive thinking, essentially. Right. And the interesting thing about these healing schools, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say this and I'm going to say, this is, this is getting into some really delicate territory that we're going to delve into here pretty soon. Yeah. Because we can say things like, you may or may not have a Mormon friend mm-hmm. or a Jehovah's Witness friend. They would declare themselves different. Mm. I have dear friends, and I know that listeners have dear friends who follow attractive Christianity, that these, these are ideological roots. Right. They're not linear roots. Mm-hmm. Where you can trace a patronage, right? But they are ideological roots, yep. and this is why, for all of the different cults that we'd be like, why does Christian Science even show up here? Because compared to Seventh Day Adventists, compared to the Mormons, compared to the Jehovah's Witness, they're barely a blip on the radar. Right, right. There are roots here mm-hmm. of naming and claiming. Mm-hmm the power of your words mm-hmm. and these kinds of things um, that that need to be brought onto the map yeah. so that we understand when we look later at the formations of these denominations what the connection is. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's helpful. Um, so 
few things they believe rapid fire here for you. Um, they hold that science and health textbook, uh, with its key to the scriptures as authoritative. Um, they believe Jesus is just a man who lived in the first century. Christ is the ideal of divine healing. So Jesus was just the best manifestation of that power and truth, mm-hmm. uh, which means they, of course they deny the Trinity. Holy spirit is the power of divine science. Uh, all matter is an illusion. Uh, sin and evil is a delusion. The only real error is thinking that matter or sin or evil are real. Hmm. So that's the issue. So if you can just free yourself, it's almost Hindu. Like it's almost Eastern influence. Yeah. And in fact, there's some people have kind of pointed to that, that maybe she, she had some kind of, uh, Mary Edie may have had some kind of influence from Eastern, Eastern thought. Yeah. What, what ended up happening to her ultimately? She died. She did. <laughs> And those people who took over after her. They also died. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. There's lots of medical neglect within these communities. Yes. Um, they won't, oftentimes won't use medicine for their sick children. Mm-hmm. They're, they kind of live in this space between all medicine and medical care being expressly forbidden. But it is, so it's not necessarily that all the time in every instance but it's discouraged it's seen as a lack of faith right so mm-hmm. they're like we'll leave it up to right. your conscience whether or not you go see the oncologist for your cancer but you know if you just but really what you need to do is just affirm the healing truth more just manifest the the spirit power of christ in your body more and realize that that cancer is not even really real anyway so who cares yeah and the, the really interesting thing about these healing schools for for christian science and the groups that will come that we'll talk about later. Sure. The thing that I find really fascinating is it seems to me that Jesus, in his divine foreknowledge, heals in a way that anticipates this Mm -hmm. because Jesus never heals the same way twice. Mm. So, like, how do you have a school of this? Sometimes he's just like... Yeah, get up and leave. Sometimes he raises them up. Sometimes he just he spits in the mud. Spits in the mud, <laughs> makes a little mud cake and wipes it on their eyes. Sometimes it takes two goes. Right. right. And sometimes he just says, Yeah, go home, it's done. Right. Or go wash in the pool or go do like it's all over the place, right? It is, it is. And so so how you would be like, Oh, this is the systematic approach that we've broken down yeah. has to be extra biblical. It has to be. It has right? to be. And even at that, you just like What's your authority on that? I, yeah, yeah, no. it's yeah. Healing schools are it, whack. It also denies the fact that Jesus explicitly says, "What's easier, to say to a person, get up and walk, or to say your sins are forgiven?" Right. But so that you would know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sin, I say to this man, rise up and walk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was Is a it, sign. Yeah. As John right. reiterates, and, and should the Lord want to operate through healing uh, now, like I, I believe praise he can. God. Yeah, yep. praise God for it. We should pray for it. We should be willing to lay hands on people and pray for them. Uh, all of that, but but when you're setting up healing schools and making making physical healing the the 
the pinnacle of your ministry. Right. Right. It's the, 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 em, measure the emphasis is on the wrong syllable in the best case scenario. And in the worst case scenario, you're Christian science and you're not even Christian or scientific yeah. for that matter. All right. The last group we have now here's, I want to preface about this last group. This last group, I would say to be a committed Jehovah's witness, to be a committed Mormon, to be a committed Christian science scientist, uh, there's a, there's a, you're not a Christian. Yeah. You're not I agree. a, you're not a Christian. So, I would say, I would say there are Christians inside the Catholic church, despite the Catholic church. Yeah. That is not true about any of the groups you've mentioned. Yeah. But it will be true about the next. Yeah. So this, with the seventh day of Venice, I think that there's, there's some error. There's some significant error in some areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're not like the other groups. So. Seventh-day Adventists grew, again, out of that Millerite movement in this, uh, during the Second Great Awakening. And so like the JWs, like Jehovah's Witnesses, it began with a series of predictions about Jesus' return. And when they didn't happen, they adjusted their doctrine. And the way that this group adjusted their doctrine is that, so Jesus didn't, act, didn't return to earth physically, but up in heaven, he entered the Holy of Holies in heaven. Right. So he went to this special sanctuary in heaven and went in there in 1844 to kind of begin the process of kind of dividing the sheep from the goats and this whole thing gets kicked off. Um, at, around the same time, a large number of people became persuaded that the Saturday Sabbath should be observed rather than a Lord's Day Sunday. And they also hold to a conditional immortality. So essentially the soul is not immortal but it can become immortal if people have faith in Christ. So mm-hmm. uh, no condemnation for the un, for the unsaved, apart from just annihilationism or whatever. Yeah, and this is where they get into soul sleep. Right, right, exactly, yeah. Right, Be, those believers don't die. Right. They just go to rest. Sure. Um, yeah. And their souls will be awakened. Yeah, and so for, for the first, like... 20-odd years or so. It's just a loose organization of like-minded congregations that mm-hmm. are just like, yeah, we we, leave the, we believe that Jesus technically did a thing in 1844, and we're also meeting on Saturdays instead of Sundays. Both of those things, I think the, the thing about Jesus entering the Holy of Holies in heaven, that's just like, that's just wacky stuff. Yeah. That's just wacky stuff. The Saturday instead of Sunday thing, I, I think there is a precedent laid in the New Testament for gathering on the Lord's Day Sunday, but honestly... That's not like, that's not like a, a fatal flaw to yeah. be like, we want to do Saturdays instead. I don't care if your church meets on Tuesday. Like, I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm not quite there, but I, like, I'm not, I'm not going to be like, oh, you're not a Christian because you're not meeting on Sunday. That's, I'm not, mm. I'm not there. I'm not, not even close to that. Um, so anyways, so the formal denomination is founded um, in Battle Creek, Michigan with about 3,500 members. And a lot of the people who joined this group held a lot of beliefs, initially, especially initially, close to um, Arianism, which again, mm-hmm. ancient heresy. Jehovah's Witness. Je- Jehovah's Witness, yeah, are yeah, Arians as well. So uh, no original sin. Humans can be perfect and, and should be perfect, actually. Uh, Jesus is a lesser being than the Father, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, however, over time, the, the church... The Seventh-day Adventist Church has kind of, in some respects, actually drifted back towards a Trinitarian view of God. 
Yeah, it started really happening in the 70s, the 1970s. Yeah, yeah. So in the 1970s, they they start reaching out to evangelical societies and saying, you know, we want to be a part of this. Right. We want to be a part of the conversation. We want to belly up to the table with you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were rejected mm-hmm. because of a number of bizarre doctrines that are... What they the word they want to use is heterodoxy. Yeah. Right? It's not orthodoxy. No. They will grant you. Mm-hmm. Uh but it's not heresy. Right. It's heterodoxy. It's yeah. just outside of orthodoxy, but not anti orthodoxy. Yeah. And so they would say on the basis of this heterodoxy, claim it as tertiary and receive us into the table. And these societies are like, sorry, we're multi denominational, but this is too much. Yeah. It's too far outside of. Yeah. And so there's a lot of reform that starts taking place mm-hmm. inside of their own camp yeah. to the point that the entire denomination goes through a bit of a a bit of an undefined split. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, some denominations split and they become other denominations. You right. Two denominations. Right. There's there's a split within the Seventh Day Adventists, but as far as I understand they're still all called the Seventh-day Adventists. Right, yeah, yeah. There's one big tent, and inside of it, there's kind of groups within the group of like, okay, but, you know, technically we're on the same team, but like, these are the one, these are the, these other people we're most similar to. And not just a little bit different. Oh, no, like, like, actually, yeah, quite, quite different. Right. Yeah. I mean, they all have the Saturday thing, right? That's, that's all there. They all have the weird eschatology thing, the Jesus in the sanctuary thing. But as far as like the person of Christ, Mm-hmm. You have different takes on who he is, right? Is he co-equal, co-eternal with God or not? Um, yeah, one person, one character in the story of the the Seventh Day Adventist that's that's worth mentioning briefly here is uh, is Ellen G. White. Mm-hmm. Uh, she claimed to have anywhere between a thousand and two thousand visions. Um, she would have these episodes where she would yell glory 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 and then she would swoon and recover with superhuman strength and then she'd just be walking around for anywhere from you know 15 seconds to three hours and her husband claimed that she wouldn't breathe throughout the entire process okay Mm -hmm. uh which okay and her eyes would be wide open without blinking and she'd go on and on with whatever it was that you know she was getting and then she, you know, unaware of what went on around her, when it finished, she would, you know, finally breathe. And, and what the creepy thing is she would say, dark, D-A-R-K, dark, which is, I don't know, just kind of freaked yeah. me out when I read that. That was weird. But many Adventists, like most, believe that her visions and her writings are inspired. Right. Um, yeah, so it's it's weird. However, it's it's worth noting that, like, what she held to and what she promoted within the Adventist movement was on the side that was closer to Orthodox Christianity, one might say. So like, but not totally there. Like it's weird. It's yeah. And and so so that's one of the big hangups that a lot of the rest of Protestantism has with the Seventh day Adventists is like, mm-hmm. well, like you're holding this lady's like visions and writings as authoritative and like some of it's just like raving, not like, like it's just not, it's, it's not even the way that it would, it was, it happened in scripture. Yeah. Right? So, so that's the big one, right? It's like in order to be accepted as one of us, you have to close the canon 
at the New Testament. You, you can't allow this to be canonized, authoritative work. Um, and, you know, this, much like Christian science, this comes from a young girl mm-hmm. who sustained a head injury. Right. Right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and so it's interesting to me that they would receive, that they would take this girl from their congregation who would just be like, God spoke to me, and everyone in the room says, okay. Right. Right, and that they would take these mystical flailings and mumblings and utterances and then the moment of clarity within that Mm. as the word from God. I will also say roots are being formed here. For other things, yeah. For other things. Um, But... But this is the the means by which a lot of her teachings come about that become authoritative are these expressions of what is most likely a girl who experienced a concussion. Right. And, and sometimes arguably manipulated. Yeah. There are records, like, when this group is forming, they're not just doing it willy-nilly. And it's not like she's the leader in the same way Joseph Smith was the leader and no. just sort of went and said, this is what we're going to do. And everyone said, okay. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a bit of congregationalism going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would. there's documentation of them disagreeing one day mm. and saying, like, you know what? It's getting late. Let's come back tomorrow. And then Miss White comes back the next morning and she said, you're not going to believe this. I had a vision last night after <laughs> we separated and God showed me that I was right yesterday in our discussion and you were wrong. And so it is what it is. <laughs> and it would get written in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um they just accept it because it was so fantastic. It had to be the work of the Holy Spirit the right. way these things went along, right? It it makes it, both those examples remind me of you know what you had in Ancient Greece, you had the yes. Oracle of Delphi. I was going there next. Yeah, this is very oracle-like. If yeah. you studied Greek uh, oracles, yeah, yeah. So what you would have is you'd have these ancient Greek kings or generals or whoever with a big decision at hand would go and consult the Oracle of Delphi, and you often pay money or whatever, and they would. Um, it's it's assumed that there there was some kind of like toxic fumes from the mountain they were in that they would inhale, and they would have these. You know, go into a trance, ecstatic trances, yeah. yeah, and then would kind of pronounce these mystical, spiritual pronouncements that were often misunderstood or misapplied or whatever. But it, but it was there's something about having this special person with this special connection, this special talent, who you know, and it and it it happens with such pomp and cir- like not pomp and circumstance like a like a military parade but it's just so much going on right there's mm-hmm. like this show and the spectacle and it's like well at least we can like we can hold on to that there's something strange and powerful happening and like well in that other church down the road that presbyterian church over there you know it's just some guy who gets up and opens the same book every sunday and, and speaks mm-hmm. from it but look what we've got we've got this cool thing Right. going for us right and and people crave that people still crave that yeah and that's just the the desire for the mystical yeah right the the common means of grace are too common right uh it's not enough want for more right and um this mysticism becomes very attractive mm. right um and so it works for them 
and they f- they follow it wherever it leads them. Right. Which, um, yeah, it, I've had I've had conversations with Seventh Day Adventists that have been like, you know what, man? Like, I I go to church there, but I'm on the side that's really not into that. Hmm. Interesting. And we basically believe the same things. Um, don't even read Ellen White's right. writings at all. Right. Um, which I, my question is like, why do you go to church there? Like right. just out of curiosity, why do you go to church there? And their response was, it's not, I'm not, is it wrong? Is it the that Saturday thing? It's probably the Saturday thing. I don't, I don't know. Um, e- even at that, they were willing to be like, I mean, we don't live under the law, <laughs> so does it matter, right? Uh, to which I would say, no, I'm like, we're in on this together, right? Right. And they're like, yeah, it's, I mean, my family goes to church there. Is it wrong that I go to church there? Um, <laughs> to which I would just say. Is it best? Yeah, right. Is it best? Are you able, are you able to fellowship and teach and receive teaching um, and practice faith in Christ in a way that your conscience is clear mm-hmm. and that you're excited to be a part of that fellowship and what right. they have going on. Right, right. That's the better measure of, yeah, but as long as I know that that's not right, then I'm good. Right. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily the healthiest measure. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Well, that's all I've got for the yeah. seventh day Adventist. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting. Like, like we said, I think the Jehovah's Witnesses are sort of locked on track. Yeah. There's not going to be a reform there. I don't think so. I Not that I see. Anyway, I mean, praise God if the Holy Spirit moves on someone and there is reform sure. within the Jehovah's Witness. That would yeah. be incredible. That'd be so awesome. Yeah. Christian science, I don't think, is really even looking for that sort of thing. Yeah. I, I think it will, in time, just cease to be. Sure, sure. Yeah. That's, that's just sort of like if I was going to give a forecast that nobody cares about. Um, take it with all the same confidence you take the weather forecast right <laughs> there's 40 percent chance i don't know um i'd be interesting to see what happens in decades to come with the seventh day adventists yeah and where that grows mm-hmm. there is a really deep desire to be accepted amongst the general evangelical community right for most of them right and so i think i think that has an opportunity to really lead to something interesting. Right. Uh, they're the only ones in the group that would even use the same Bible we use mm-hmm. under similar criteria. Mm-hmm. If they can get away from Ellen White yep. and start, I don't know. I, I just think it'd be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Yeah. And I think there's, yeah, there's opportunities there. Um, if you do have people, who are part of those churches in your life to, yeah, to have some questions about what's, what's the same and what's different and why maybe some of those differences, some of those differences maybe are tertiary, but not all of them are. And yeah. maybe have some discussions about why, why those, why those matter. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah, we we're, we're involved in some, you know, ecumenical type things in our, our city. And at this point, seventh day Adventists are not part of that. Yeah. That group, right? And there's because there's some fencing, right? right. Um, but would be it would be amazing if um, 
if you know they came to a place as an organization where that wouldn't have to be there anymore. Yeah, but, if there was a second or third wave of reform yeah. within the group that would lead them into orthodoxy, that'd be cool. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, thanks for listening. I made it to the end. You did. What a champ. Yeah, this podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. See you next time.